Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. Before I get to today's topic, which is from a Wall Street Journal article entitled Standing Against Psychiatry's Crazies, and also give you a self-care update about where I am in my self-care situation. I want to talk about Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group. It is our daily support group, and we have 19 sessions per week. In a four-week month, that's 76 sessions per month, which equals 114 live hours with a professional coach. That is the least expensive professional live face-to-face support in the world. That comes down to $1.97 per hour, and we built it that way on purpose. Why did we do it like that? Because we've been through it. When I was going through it, I didn't know how I was going to pay the bills. I literally didn't know how I was going to buy groceries because my ex cut off my bank account and didn't give me money for groceries. So I know that money is on your mind and we wanted to make sure that you can get high, high quality support for very low cost. Now, a lot of women come that first month and they feel supported and they feel stabilized and they feel like, you know what, I'm feeling pretty good. Some women decide that they don't love the group setting and so they decide to just do individual sessions. And then we have some women who love the group setting and they have been in betrayal trauma recovery group for over a year. It just depends on the woman. The cool thing at BTR is that we have lots of different options. We have the free BTR secret forum on Facebook that's just peer-to-peer. We have a professional facilitated group and we have professional individual sessions. And whatever works for you works for us. In terms of Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, the daily support group, once you have joined, you can cancel and join as much as you want. The other thing is that if you continue, the next month and every month after that is only $1.09 per hour. I also want to talk about why Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group is completely online. It is because I was a bit agoraphobic when the trauma first hit. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to put my bra on. I couldn't really get out of bed. I mean, I was really having a hard time. So we wanted to remove all barriers to you getting help. Some of the days have four sessions a day. You can go to every single one of them if you want. You never have to get childcare. You never have to put your bra on. You don't have to put makeup on. You don't have to pay for gas. You don't have to have a car. You can come online and talk to actual real people. And even though it's online, you can really form amazing close relationships. So many of the other services out there, you're texting a faceless coach, for example, and they might not get back to you right away. You might be just watching modules or videos but you're not actually like able to share your story and feel the love coming back to you and feel the actual validation. So if you have not yet checked out the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group schedule, please go to btr.org, click on services, click on daily support group. That's where you can get all the information about it. We built this with you in mind for you to meet your specific needs based on what we went through and based on what our needs were. We don't want any other woman in the world to suffer in isolation or to try and get help and get the wrong kind of help. So please check out the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group schedule. It's under daily support groups on our website, btr.org. 
Okay, on to today's topic. So my amazing mother, who's been on the podcast before, who you have heard, she is a reader. One of the things she reads is the Wall Street Journal. And on the weekend edition, May 4th and 5th of 2019, it was a weekend interview with Paul McHugh by Abigail Schreier. I hope I'm pronouncing their names accurately. And it is entitled Standing Against Psychiatry's Crazies. In a nutshell, what this article is saying is that sometimes the psychiatric or the therapeutic community doesn't know what they're talking about. And I'm, I'm thinking about betrayal trauma and sometimes when women go in and they're given this like awful diagnosis or they're diagnosed as codependent or they're told, well, you've got all these problems that you need to resolve. When really victims of abuse should be told, this is an abuse situation this is going to be painful. It's going to be a form of grief. And you'll always feel a twinge of grief about the sadness that took place. But you will get better. Like what you are going through is completely normal. And how you're feeling is completely normal. And you are completely normal. And as you work toward healing, you're going to be fine. It's hard to feel that when we're going through it, but that's the truth, especially if we walk toward healing. So this specific psychiatrist really goes against the grain, and this is what it says. His contrarian roots run deep. He was a diminutive boy in the 1940s when psychoanalysts had popularized the notion that physical deficiencies, including short stature, produced inferiority complexes, especially in boys and men. He became a prime candidate for the experimental growth hormone therapies, rising to meet the demand from anxious parents. But Paul's father, a schoolteacher, decided against the treatments recommended for his son. Shortness wouldn't be the worst problem he'd have to face, the elder McHugh reasoned. As it turned out, the animal-derived pituitary treatments were ineffective. The human-derived form sometimes carried infectious agents that causes Krutetzfeld jacob disease. Again, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. An incurable degenerative brain disorder. He says, I know my life would have been easier if I had been four or five more inches, says McHugh, who now stands five foot six. But his childhood experience taught him a lesson that helped make him a giant in this field. Sometimes psychiatry's cure is far worse than the disease. McHugh believes that psychiatrists' forced order of business ought to be to determine whether a mental disorder is determined by something the patient has, a disease of the brain, or something the patient is, overtly extroverted or cognitively subnormal. Something a patient is doing behavior such as self-starvation, or something the patient has encountered, a traumatic or otherwise disorienting experience. Practitioners too often practice what he calls DSM checklist psychiatry, matching up symptoms from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders with the goal of achieving diagnosis rather than inquiring deeply into the sources and nature of an affliction. I came into psychiatry with the perception that it had not matured as a clinical science in which rational practices are directed by information on the causes and mechanisms of the disorders, Dr. McHugh says. Every other medical discipline has that. He still regards psychiatry as a badly need of organizing principles. That's putting it mildly, says the author of the article, Abigail Schreier. 
So let's talk about this concept in the context of sex addiction. What we see right now is a slew of words, sex addiction, porn addiction, intimacy disorder, intimacy anorexia, um, compulsive sexual disorder. People are trying to figure out what to label these behaviors they're seeing. A betrayal trauma recovery, we've made it really simple. It's called abuse. All of these behaviors can be under the umbrella of abuse. And these behaviors need to stop. And if they don't stop, then the victim of these behaviors needs to learn a new skill, which is setting boundaries, but there's nothing inherently wrong with her. She's not codependent. She's not crazy. She didn't get into this situation because she had a messed up childhood or whatever. Like, she's just fine. She's fine. And she is going to grieve because she's a victim of abuse, obviously. And she needs to learn a new set of skills that she hadn't learned before. It's sort of like if you were in a plane crash in the middle of the mountains and you survived, but you didn't know where you were and you had to learn new skills in that moment. You might have to learn how to hike if you've never hiked before. You might have to learn how to start a fire. You might have to learn a bunch of different things. We've all seen survival movies. The most famous might be Castaway, where when he lands on the island, he doesn't know how to spear a fish. He doesn't know how to make rope with coconut trees. He doesn't know how to open a coconut. And in the five years that he spends on that island, he learns a ton of amazing survival skills. That's how it is to be in an abusive relationship. There's nothing wrong with you. You were victimized. And now you need to learn new skills. And the skills that you're going to learn from this experience are going to benefit you the rest of your life, just like the skills that someone learned in a survival scenario would benefit them the rest of their lives. One of the skills that I am learning is self-care. I did really, really well when I was um, single before I got married. So I got married when I was 30 and I had my oldest son 10 months later or ish. I'm so bad with time. So it was, I was married in August and I had my son in July. So I don't know how many months that is. Immediately after I got married, my self-care just sort of fell apart. Before, when I was single, I could work out every day. I ate pretty well. I made sure that if I had an injury, I got into the doctor. I've always loved extreme sports. Well, or individual sports might be the better word, like mountain biking, rock climbing, rowing, you know, those, those types of sports. And so I had had several neck injuries from all of my adventures and I had had um, a few neck surgeries. And so going to the chiropractor was really important. And I did yoga every day back then. I was good at that. But immediately after getting married, it was like my whole world kind of got like off kilter. I gave up my entire life for him. So I left my job that I had loved. I had worked at the same school for six years. I loved my friends there. I developed my own program and my job was really exactly what I had wanted it as a school teacher. And I chose to leave all that and go on an adventure for my husband. So everything kind of got thrown off and I just basically gave up everything to be a couple or to be with him and to make our life together. And then everything centered around him and his moods and what I could do for him and, you know, all this stuff. When he got arrested and he just was suddenly gone and I needed to focus on myself, which I should have done before. I should have had that skill. 
I was just in this vortex of abuse and I was so confused and I couldn't figure out how to get out. I feel like those of you listening to me are um, sometimes wondering like, oh, how can I set boundaries or what can I do? And I don't really have advice for you. And the reason, well, I, I always have advice for you. But one of the things that has really struck me lately is that God literally like pulled me out of a terrible situation. I had been praying. I had been wondering what to do. And then my ex got arrested and I got the protective order, which I had never even considered. And so then I held it. But I didn't know how to do any of those things before that happened to me. So I'm not this like amazing, like wise person who was able to get myself out of an abusive situation quickly and well. No, like it was a disaster and it was a complete mess. And the only reason why I ended up out of it and seeing it for what it was, was because of that arrest. And I am so grateful that Heavenly Father did that. It just happened suddenly and it was super traumatic, but it was the right thing. So let's talk about self-care. This has been hard for me for the past 10 years of my life. So I recently read a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear, which I would highly recommend to everyone. It was an eye-opener for me about how to structure daily habits in a way that worked for me. In reading that book, I realized that part of the reason why it's been so difficult for me to do daily self-care things is because I had to think about every little thing because I didn't have any established habits. So making the bed was super difficult. Like if I got it done, it was a miracle. Um, Putting eye drops in was a miracle. My eyes are problematic in many ways. And one of them is I'm an impartial blinker and there's nothing you can do to control it. It's, it's involuntary. When the doctor told me that I was like, oh, that's good to know. At least some part of me is impartial to something (laughs) because I have an opinion about everything. When I found that out, I knew I needed to do eye drops every day, but doing that was difficult. Just basically getting anything done was hard. I could only do one thing a day. And I remember talking to my coach, she said, okay, what are the the things you need to do? And I was like, I want to read my scriptures every day. I want to pray every day. I'm pretty good at that. I I usually get that done, but it's not like always at the same time. I want to exercise. I want to eat right. I want to um, spend more time with my kids. I want to make my bed or, you know, whatever. And we'd make these goals and it was just seemed so overwhelming. I couldn't do all of the things. I could only do one thing. So at the beginning of the self-care process, I would be like, I made my bed today and then everything else would fall apart. <laughs> or, oh, I put eye drops in and then everything else would fall apart. This book has helped me to structure my habits so that I don't have to think about it. So now I have turned the corner. I am making my bed every day without much thought, which is awesome. I'm putting eye drops in. I am exercising every day now. I'm going to yoga. The dishes are getting done in a more easy fashion. So if you're having trouble with like the day-to-day tasks or if the grief seems to be overwhelming to you or if your husband's addiction, I'll put quote-unquote addiction, and all of his like recovery efforts have completely swallowed your self-care or your identity, I invite you to take a step back, detach a little bit, and think, what do I need to take care of myself? What habits do I need? (coughs) Excuse me, because the whole goal here is to detach and boundary yourself so that you're not exposed to the abuse all the time or ever. 
ever. It should be ever. And that you start taking care of yourself. That's the goal here. And if he chooses to stop being abusive, great. And if he doesn't, great. Either way, you are on the path to a happy and peaceful life. One of the things I've decided to do is what I call a weekly self-care power hour. And I'm going to cycle through six things every six weeks. And one of them will be a meditation session with Coach Peggy. And the six-week cycle of the weekly self-care power hour, that's going to be a little bit different than my daily self-care. I don't know what self-care is going to look like for you. It might look like making your bed every day. It might look like meditating every day. It might look like praying and reading your scriptures every day. Those are all the things that I do in my self-care. Part of your self-care might be joining Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group and attending one session a week for your self-care power hour. It might be an individual session with one of our coaches. Just designing a life that works for you, where you can take care of yourself in whatever way that works. You can find the book Atomic Habits on our site, btr.org backslash books. I also created a self-care daily wellness log. It's the type of log that works for me. And you can see that on our books page as well. Again, btr.org backslash books. It's basically just a checklist of daily self-care tasks that may or may not be helpful to you in your self-care journey. The theme of today's episode is you're not crazy. You are not sick. There is nothing wrong with you. You are just in a survival situation and you need to learn new skills. And the exciting thing is the skills that you learn right now are going to benefit you the rest of your life. It's an opportunity for all of us to become stronger, better people. If I were you and I'm listening and it was me back four years ago, I would have wanted to uh, say this lady, I don't like her. She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand how painful it is. That's what I would have said to myself four years ago. So if you're saying that right now, it's okay. I have been there. But I'm also feeling so good because I've come out the other side. And what helped me do that was an amazing network of coaches, amazing network of women who understood the education that came to me as a result of my no contact boundary and studying abuse. And all of those things, I feel like, have led me to where I am now, and I'm so grateful. There is my self-care update. I'd like to know what you guys are doing for your self-care. Every single episode of this podcast has an entry on our website. So if you go to the website, it'll say podcast with transcriptions. So there's an article about this episode, and then there will also be the full transcription. So you can find that and then comment there. Let me know what your self-care questions are. What are your self-care concerns? What are your concerns about the general sex addiction community not seeing this as abuse? It'd just be great to be able to interact with you there. I want to thank every single woman who is listening who has made a recurring monthly donation. That makes this podcast possible, and I'm so grateful. If you haven't already, will you go to btr.org, scroll down to the bottom, click on make a donation, and set your monthly recurring donation today so that I can continue to take this message of hope and peace, but also of abuse to women throughout the world to help them gain those survival skills that they need. Similarly, every time you rate this podcast on iTunes or any other podcasting app, 
It increases our visibility, which helps women find us. Those of you who share things on social media or tell your friends about the podcast, that helps women throughout the world find safety. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for helping get the word out. This is such an important message, and it's one that is not being shared or taught in churches or therapy offices or basically anywhere. I'm so grateful for you for being a healthy army of women who are making this world a better place. And until next week, stay safe out there.